This is Zombie Chickens Podcast, where two heads are better than one, even if they're undead. My name is Megan. And my name is Marnay. And in this episode, we are, or this month rather, we are discussing and going to top 10 rated whatever's things so themes uh, themes so it's not top, things <laughs> top 10 rated themes for the entire month um of may and with this specific one it's going to be going to be the top 10 uh, most haunted castles uh houses would, places homesteads places, places of the world of the world yes Top 10 most haunted places. And I will start us off. Um, this entire list we did res- uh, we did get from Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. So we will be linking all the sources we use in the description of this podcast. So if you would like to go check it out for yourself. Yeah, it's quite cool. It is a, it's actually a lot bigger list. I think it's a list of 40, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think it's a list of 20. 20. Oh, sorry. A list of 20 mm-hmm. and then... We are just doing the top 10. So I'll start us off with number 10. And it is Pavia Island, Italy. Pavia is a small island located between Venice and Lido in the Venetian Lagoon, northern Italy. A small canal divides the island into two separate parts. The island is first mentioned in the Chronicles of 421, when people from Padua and Estee fled there to escape the barbarian invasions. In the 9th century, the island's population began to grow, and in the following centuries, its importance grew steadily, until it was governed by a dedicated Podesta. In 1379, Venice came under attack from the Genoan fleet. The people of Bavia were moved to the Guadeca. Guadeca? Sorry for all the weird pronunciation, or not weird pronunciation, me pronouncing it very badly, all the Italian words. Oh, don't worry, I have, yeah. a, I have a few coming up and I'm quite <laughs> nervous, especially uh, some of the Indian ones. The island remained uninhabited in the subsequent centuries. In 1527, the Dog offered the island to the Camaldolese monks, who refused the offer. From 16... 16- 45 on, the Venetian government built, built five octagonal forts to protect and control the entrance to the lagoon. The Pavia octagon is one of four that still survive. In 1776, the island came under the jurisdiction of the public health office and became a checkpoint for all goods and people coming to and going from Venice by ship. Hmm. In 1793, there were several cases of plague on two ships and consequently the island was transformed into a temporary confinement station for the ill. This role became permanent in 1805 under the rule of Napoleon Bonaparte, who also had the old church of San Vitale destroyed. The old bell tower was converted into a lighthouse. The Lazaretto was closed in 1814. The island was used as a quarantine station from 1793 until 1814. In 1922, 
The existing buildings were converted into an asylum for the mentally ill and later used as a nursing home slash long-term care facility until its closure in 1968. Afterwards, the island was briefly used for agriculture and then completely abandoned. In 2014, the Italian state auctioned a 99-year lease of Pavia, which would remain state property, to raise revenue, hoping that the buyer would redevelop the hospital into a luxury hotel. The highest bid was from Italian businessman Luigi Brugnaro. He planned to invest 20 million euros in the restoration plan. The lease did not proceed because the, his project was judged not to meet all the conditions. Other sources suggest that the deal was annulled because the bid was too low, which was 513 euros, thousand euros, 513,000 euros. Brugnaro initially fought the cancellation of the lease, but after he became mayor of Venice, he renounced any intentions to the island. In 2015, a private group, Pavia Pertuti, was hoping to raise 25 to 30 million euros for a new plan to include a public park, a marina, a restaurant, and a, ho a ho hostel, and a study center, according to the, to the Telegraph. As of mid-2019, however, the island is still sat vacant. The me mental hospital that was opened in 1922, uh, there was, it was actually confirmed because there was a sign that read Reparto Psychiatria. And Psychiatry. Yeah. Mm. And it remains affixed to the building to this day. The rest of the events that occurred there, as told by the locals, read more like a figment of Hollywood's imagination. The patients already considered to have lost their marbles, regularly reported seeing ghosts of plague victims and said they were kept up at night from the screams of tortured souls. Their, their claims were ignored. In 1968, after the doctor's death, the hospital was closed and the island was once again completely abandoned. Uh, a few people have set foot on Pavia since 1968 as it was completely off limits for visitors. Paranormal shows like Ghost Adventures and Scariest Places on Earth both got permission to visit the island and film there. But yeah, it's actually off limit to any people wanting to go visit. So you literally have to go to the government to ask for permission to actually to visit the island, yeah. Shit, so you actually can't go there? Mm -mm, no. And it's Fuck. actually quite beautiful, the pictures. I wish we, ha we were a visual podcast. <laughs> so you can actually see, because it's, it's really, really beautiful. So weird to think, well, if you look from far away, if you look closely to the buildings, you can see there's like destruction to the buildings and things mm. like that. So clearly there were people that were there without permission. Mm. I have no idea how they would get there. I mean, do you know how far it is from inland? Um, I'm not sure, but it is. I think it is quite a distance. Okay. But because remember, the Ven uh, the Venetian lagoon is like really, really big. Mm. And there is a couple of islands in the lagoon itself. Mm. So it's just, I'm actually not sure how close to mainland it is. That would be interesting. Hmm. But yeah, so it is off limits to everyone. So it's mainly just the ghost stories that 
are told from it, even though they say it's one of the most haunted places, are from people's accounts from like the mental institute and things like that. Yeah, shame. I mean, you can't believe anything they say because they're already mean. Exactly. Shame. So poor, poor, poor people. Yeah, it's not like the version was valid, considered exactly. Valid. Yeah. Well, at number nine, we are going to Banff Springs Hotel in Alberta, Canada. Now, the Banff Springs Hotel, as it's commonly known, first opened in 1888 in Alberta, built by the Canadian Pacific Railway. The city of Banff and the hotel were named after the first European settler in this region of Canada, William Davidson, who was born in Banff, Scotland. Hmm. Also, the structural structure of the hotel is based from sort of the structures from Scotland. Yeah. From that period. So it's difficult to actually go into the history of this hotel because it goes in and out of um, ownership. But the most famous story is the Burning Bride of the 1920s. Okay. And the story goes, um, she's a woman dressed in a wedding gown that lost her life on the staircase. There were candles on the staircase when the bride was walking up to them when suddenly her dress caught fire. In a panic, she tripped and fell down the stairs, dying from a broken neck. Many people have reported seeing her ghost in full wedding gown, often dancing in the ballroom. Guests and staff, in some cases, witnessed the flames from her dress as she dances. Others have witnessed the woman on the staircase where she lost her life. Staff have also reported strange noises coming from the bridal suite, even when the suite is vacant. Damn. Mmm. And the other one, the, the whole problem about this this hotel give you the vibes of, uh, what's that famous hotel in America? The Cecil Hotel. Oh, the Cecil Hotel, yeah. It gives you that type of vibes, but it's very difficult to actually get any coherent and evidence based on these stories. Yeah. It's the only problem that I, what I found with this specific hotel. It's also a beautiful hotel. But the second ghost that's very well known is of Sam McCauley. He was a bellman at the hotel in the 60s and 70s. Although not much is known about how or where he died, his ghost is said to haunt the hotel to this day. He has been known to appear in his 1960s uniform, helping guests to get into locked rooms, turn on room lights, or help with carrying bags. He's often witnessed on the ninth floor. If you try to start a conversation or attempt to tip Sam, he will vanish. She's actually like a friendly ghost. Okay. This is one witness uh, that a, a lady witnessed him and um, or saw him, not witnessed him, but saw him and she was asleep with her husband and she woke up with the bell man standing next to next to her oh damn i would and she thought she 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 just saw something weird so she just turned over and slept and then she asked the husband why were you standing looking at me during the night and he said no i didn't i was asleep so apparently that was him and he, he wore a i can't remember if it was blue or green but the uh, uniform that is so creepy so now there's a conspiracy theory as well mm-hmm. with this one because with room 873 okay mm, this room was reportedly the scene of a tragic m- uh, murder of a family 
Its door has since been bricked up and made to look like the rest of the wall in the hallway. Guests have reported seeing uh, apparitions outside this room, possibly members of the family that were reported to have been murdered there. So other stories suggest as well, before they boarded it up, where, um, f not family members, but people that stayed in the room heard noises, they heard um, screams, and when they woke up, they saw, like, get handprints, bloody handprints on the mirror what? that would disappear or would or the cleaning crew had to come in and clean. So afterwards they boarded up the room. Damn. So all the rooms end at the number 7-3. But that hallway where they close it off ends at 7-2. So they clearly boarded up. up. Oh damn. Yeah. So that's the story. Of Banff Springs Hotel. Okay. Moving on. So number eight. First before I go on. Most of my stories are... Not most of it. Half of it is like abandoned buildings. And the other half is like... Places that has been turned into a bed and breakfast or a hotel. Mm, same. But like this one is one of those abandoned places. It is known as Hellfire Club Montpellier Hill in Ireland. Hmm. But the Hellfire Club is mostly actually like a no local name. The actual hill's name is Montpellier Hill. Okay. Originally there was a passage grave with a cairn, a cairn at the top of the hill. Speaker Connolly, one of the wealthiest men in Ireland, built this the hunting lodge in its site. So the hunting lodge is basically this old big brick building that he built. Connolly said to have destroyed the cairn while building the lodge. Sometime later, the roof was blown off during a storm. Locals reckoned that aggrieved spirits seeking vengeance for the cairn's uh, destruction was responsible. If people don't know what a cairn is, it's basically like a stack of rocks that they put on top of hills and places like that on someone's grave, basically. Oh, okay. So it's a stack of rocks. And so the tales began. Over time, fact and fiction have become so intertwined that it's impossible to separate them. The building was sold after Connolly's death, and it is said to have become a meeting place for the Irish Hellfire Club. The club was founded in 1735 by Richard Parsons, a known dabbler in black magic. The members met at locations across Dublin and were known for their immoral behaviour and debauchery involving alcohol and sex. The secrecy surrounding the club members led to speculation that they were Satanists and devil worshippers. The president of the club was named the King of Hell and dressed like Satan with horns, wings and hooves. Mm -hmm. The members were said to set a place at each meeting for the devil in, ho in the hope that he'd attend. They were also said to hold black masses in the lodge during which cats and even servants were sacrificed. Some say the building was deliberately set on fire in order to enhance its hellish atmosphere. The best known Hellfire Club story is the one in which the devil himself appears. A stranger had joined the members at a game of cards. At some point, one of the card players dropped a card on the floor. As he bent down to retrieve it, he noticed that the stranger had cloven hooves instead of feet. 
Another tale concerns a young farmer curious to find out what went at this, on at the meetings. Climbing up Montpellier Hill one night, he was invited in by the members of the club and allowed to witness the night's activities. He was found the next morning trembling and terrified. Tradition says he spent the rest of his life unable to speak, unable to even remember his name. A black cat features in one of the most famous tales. In this story, another young man, a visitor to the local farmhouse, goes to investigate activities at the club. Next morning, he is found dead. His host and the local priest, believing him to have been murdered, go to the club to investigate. A banquet laid out and the black cat prowling the room. But this is no normal cat. It's huge and the priest notices its ears are shaped like horns. Happening to have a small bottle of holy water in his pocket, the priest decides to attempt an exorcism. The result tears the beast apart. Outside, the host is found laying on, laying on the ground, his face and neck deeply scratched with strong claws. The Hellfire Club remains burnt out and abandoned on, Mon on Montpellier Hill, looking over Dublin. The view is glorious on this sunny day, but at the night at night time, people have reported unusual smells, a strange atmosphere, and traces of satanic ritual have been discovered. Hmm. So you can actually still there's it's like part of a um, hiking trail. Oh. So you can actually go and hike there and walk around, and it's just a completely abandoned building. There's like graffiti on the walls, and it's completely broken and everything. So um, you can. Walk around it and go. Oh, so and it's not a, so it's not you know like with the previous one you're not allowed to go there. No, it it people say go. Visit. It's 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 basically like a tourist attraction, mm. but mo most locals use it as um the, use the hiking trail. So okay, yeah, that was quite an interesting one. So with number seven, it's actually very close to home for us because it's the Castle of Good Hope, which is in Cape Town, and we've both been there. Yeah. You've, been, you've yeah you've been there multiple times i've only been there once oh yeah you've only been there once you know funny enough the one that actually went to school in cape town yeah only went there once that is strange <laughs> but um it's actually very interesting i tried while i was researching this specific one i was trying to think of you know how weird it was because the only thing is we didn't experience anything weird it's just no. it's a very eerie building it though. is a very eerie but especially the day we went because it was very dark and um, cloudy, it was, cloudy it was a very dark day so mm -hmm. it just everything felt dark and wet <laughs> yes gloomy exactly so say. it did cast a weird shadow yeah. over the place and you do get this whole you know weird feeling about it mm. but the Castle of Good Hope was built by the Dutch East India Company between 1666 and 1679. The Castle of Good is the oldest existing colonial building in South Africa. It replaced an older fort called the Fort de Werp, Goede Werp, which was constructed from clay and timber and built by Jan van Riebeek, the first commander of the Cape. In 1682, the gated entry replaced the old entrance, which had, which had faced the sea. Oh, but just an interesting fact about, fact about Cape Town. Cape Town was used as a stopping point of, or halfway point um, for the Dutch East India Company mm. um, when they had when it was the start of the spice route. Yeah. So, just so people know, Cape Town was a halfway point. 
A bell tower situated over the main entrance was built in 1684. The original bell, the oldest in South Africa, was cast in Amsterdam in 1697 and weighs just over 300 kilograms, which is 680, 660 pounds. It was used to announce the time as well as warning citizens of, uh, of danger and, and could be heard over 10 kilometers away. It's actually quite far. Mm. It was also rung to summon residents and soldiers when important announcements needed to be made. The fortress housed a church, bakery, various shops, workshops, living quarters and cells, among other f- facilities. The yellow paint on the walls was originally chosen because it lessened the effect of heat and the sun. I never knew that. I was wondered why it was yellow. I thought it was aesthetically chosen. <laughs> Same. Like, <laughs> yellow. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. It's quite yellow, though. <laughs> it's yellow. It's, it's like... It's yellow. It's, yeah. During the Second Boer War, which was in 1899 till 1902, part of the castle was used as a prison and the, fo- and the former cells remained to this day. Over the course of time, it was the administrative centre of the Cape, a garrison, a prison, and its dungeon served as a temporary holding cell. And we were actually in one of those cells. Yeah, we were. The one without the light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Workers and visitors report hearing noises and footsteps in the windowless dungeon, the Donkerhut or the, the, the very dark room. Yeah. And we were there. It's That's the one absolutely we freaking Yeah. It just to explain, it doesn't have any windows or it has any one small window very high up. It doesn't really that I don't think that counts as a window. I think that's just it's like an opening. But you, you literally I still have a photo somewhere that we took when we were in the Donkerhart. Yeah. It's literally just this one little doiky pack <laughs> of light. light yeah. And this they very close you they room. close the door while you're in there just to show you how dark it is. And it's a very immense, you know, feeling because it's pitch black. Mm. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's a very, very ominous feeling. People have also heard footsteps and noises in the narrow corridors of the building. The bell in the bell tower, which was walled up centuries ago after a soldier hung himself from the bell rope, sometimes ring of its own accord. Damn. Mm. A black dog is also said to haunt the property and has been known to approach visitors and then disappear. Hmm. Yeah. Did we see a dog? <laughs> I keep trying to I'm think. Just, I'm trying to remember every if we saw something without actually even realizing. Exactly, exactly because I didn't know about the hauntings. I didn't know about it. I should have known because, because obviously it's a really old building. Not just that. I mean, there was a lot of prisoners held there, that, and yeah. a lot of people were hung. Yeah, it's um, very the way they were killed were very was brutal. De- was definitely. Um, the way vengeful spirits get formed. Exactly. Yeah. But I do have to say, you do get this eerie feeling while you're being there. But I don't know if it's because of the day we went. No, I felt the same when I was there previously. I was do, there on a you sunny feel, day. You feel like you're being watched the whole time. And it's just like this creepy it's, it's, feeling it's, it's, between it's, your shoulder blades. Yeah, it's a weight. It's like a weighted feeling on you. 
Mm. It's it's very hard to explain. It does feel very strange and eerie being there. Because when I was looking, when I was doing research about this one, I kept thinking back the day when we went because I didn't mm. know about the hauntings, even though you should know about yeah. the hauntings because it was a prison at one time. But in any case, Lady Anne Bernard is another of the castle's ghostly residents. In the late 18th century, Lady Anne lived at the castle as the colony's first lady and often entertained important dignitaries. It seems even death won't stop her from fulfilling her duties. Her ghost is said to appear even today when important dignitaries visit. Another known ghost story is that of Governor Peter Geispert van Noort, who was apparently a strict and militant man, once sentencing even soldiers to die by hanging. Mm. One of the soldiers is said to have cursed him. Later that day, Van Noort was found dead at his desk, having died of a heart attack. Damn. Shit, son. Yeah, so that's the story of the Castle of Good Hope. One of my ancestors' names are um, commemorated on the walls in the castle. Really? That's cool. Because he fought in the war. It's Charles something Hayward. All the family names are exactly the same, so... But yeah, he's commemorated on the walls. Um, But oh, what I wanted to say is the way to explain the feeling you get from being there, it feels like you're doing something wrong. Yes. Like the whole time we were there, it felt like I was doing something wrong as if I didn't pay to go in. Mm, Which we did. Which (laughs) we did. It's it's just a very odd building though. It is a very odd building. It's... I ominous. It's just it's, the only yeah. thing to say it's very ominous. And there were so many corners and cracks where there was no people and we were just like, are we allowed to be here? Can mm. we just walk around? Mm. That was very freaky though. I'd like to go back though. Definitely. I feel like there's so much more you can actually see. Mm. Yeah. But, but I think next time we should go with the um with the group. With the with the big group <laughs> and um, the sunshine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even though I'm not, again, I don't believe in ghosts, but it, it does give you a very, very weird feeling that yeah. when I went to the bathroom alone, it's just, you know, that uh, that hallway is just so long mm-hmm. and narrow and, you know, it's it's very cramped. There was this one point I went up a tower where you guys were off. I think you went to the bathroom and your partner was following or was waiting then I went up this little tower thing on the lookout area. Mm. And I just felt very weird. Like it felt, I don't know, just, I felt scared. I was like, okay, I think I need to go back to you guys. <laughs> but it, that's probably just my paranoid mind, but still. Uh, yeah, what a weird place, nonetheless. Yeah. So number six is Ancient Ram in, in Gloss. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. <laughs> no, my God. Gloucestershire, England. Yeah, so ancient Ram Inn in England. Oh, but I think I've heard of the Rams Inn. Isn't it one of the oldest buildings in England? Or oldest hotels or something of the sort? Uh, yeah, it is. The inn was built in 1145. Jesus. Priests used the inn years ago as a keeping house for slaves and workers who helped construct the St. Mary Church. In 1930, the inn was bought by Morris the Bath. Since then, the inn was, has become private property and it has changed hands several times. 
The land where the inn is built is at an intersection of two lay lanes. These are places that people believe to have high spiritual energy. <laughs> oh, people with their lay lines. Oh. When you use a map, you can trace the lines all the way through the center of a stone hedge of Stonehenge. I was just about to say they are going to to mention Stonehenge. Yeah, and Stonehenge <laughs> isn't even a proper hinge. Oh my gosh! <laughs> According to legend, Stonehenge hinge has an energy to, that travels through the ley lanes to feed the paranormal power found in the ancient Ram Inn. Furthermore, an ancient pagan burial ground is reported to have resided in the location over 5,000 years ago. Mm, I know about this inn. I think I've seen a documentary about it. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah. Except for the whole spirituality, ley lines and yeah. what, 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 what. But it's actually very interesting because of what the priests did. Yeah. You go off the, pra the logical real life things and then your, because your logical and practical mind is just like, no, other things doesn't matter. <laughs> um, one popular legend surrounding the ancient Ram Inn is that of the witch burned at the stake. Mm. She was burned at the stake in the 1500s. It was the prosecution of people who did not believe the practice, believe and practice Christianity, Christianity as sanctioned by the government. A lot of people believe that the woman's spirit still haunts one of the rooms of the house to this day. It is believed that the woman took refuge in one of the rooms of the house before she was captured and killed. Today, that room is called the witch's room. Mm. Very creative. <laughs> it is widely believed that the redirecting of water on the ancient Ram property caused a portal of, for dark energy to open up. <laughs> <laughs> the past owner John Humphreys attested to the spectres which have made the house their home during John's first night he claimed to have been grabbed by the arm by a demonic force and dragged from the bed across the room John found evidence of devil worship and ritual sacrifice too he discovered the skeletal remains of children just under the staircase Broken daggers were also found within the skeletons. Until his death, he claimed to be haunted and attacked by various entities in the house on a regular basis. There have been many sightings of previous owners of the inn scene residing and sitting together with the patrons of today's time. One of the most haunted rooms in the entire inn is called the Bishop's Inn. The room is found on the first floor of the house. When the inn was still a bed and breakfast, a lot of guests would not want to sleep in the room. Some who did sleep, sleep ended up fleeing in the middle of the night. It is said that the ghost of the monk haunts the room on a regular basis. The ghost of a centurion on horseback has also been spotted. It is said that the plumber who saw the apparition was startled out of his wits when the apparition went straight through the wall. There's also talk of a succubus that creeps into the beds of sleeping visitors. And that is the story of the Ram, ancient Ram Inn, in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that's literally one of the most haunted places in Britain, isn't mm, it? It is, yeah. I think, I think it's... It's not the Shrieking Shack, but it's... Um... But it's one of the most, yeah. 
Mm. I, I've, I've heard of this place. I've heard of this place. Uh, there's a lot of stories about, you know, the, um, I want to say the abuse that, that that the priests did on the slaves. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of insinuation, you know. But with most of these places, it is actually like a lot of insinuation that um, mm. of all the torture and things that happened at these places. No, no, definitely. Well, we are going to Draxholm Slot in Denmark. Okay. So Draxholm Slot was built by the Bishop of uh, Roskilde around 1215. Originally, it resembled a palace more than a fort. It was fortified in the Middle Ages and they must have done a good job. During a war known as the Count's Feud in the 1530s, it was the only castle in Zealand to remain standing. Not New Zealand, Zealand. 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 Hmm. After, after the Reformation, the land and castles of the church were delivered to the hands of the Danish crown. At this point, the fortified castle was converted to a royal prison for nobility and religious heads. During one of the many wars between Denmark and Sweden, the castle was badly damaged. Basically, the Swedes tried to blow it up and they did a pretty decent job. <laughs> After the war subsided, the king was in massive debt. In 1694, he sold off the castle to a nobleman who rebuilt the castle in the Baroque style of the era. The castle sought to be home of at least a hundred ghosts. Damn. Mm. As Lutheran Lutheranism spread throughout Denmark and the Catholic Church eventually became outlawed, Draxholm became also a house of number to house a number of bishops and other ecclesiastical inmates. Among the prisoners were a number of famous inmates such as Joachim Rono was the last Catholic bishop of Roskilde and ironically once owned the place. And James Hepburn, the fourth Earl of Brothwell and third husband to Mary Queen of Scots. Oh. Mm. Very famous people. Hmm. James Hepburn was particularly disrupt uh, was particularly a disruptive Scottish noble. The Danish king eventually sent the Earl of Brothwell to Draxholm. Here the story tells us that he was chained to a pillar and given only enough food and water to keep him alive. The legend says that Hepburn went insane during the ten years he was locked in Draxholm Castle. He spent that time pacing around his pillar until when he died in April 1578. He had worn a circle groove in the floor that can still be seen to this day. Damn. Jesus, that's quite scary. Damn. Okay. Just to think how many times you need to pace around a pillar. Is to, mm, to actually walk down. That is. It, it will obviously not be wood. It would probably be like granite or, you know, something That's stone. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even though his body was removed from the castle, his spirit remained behind. The ghost of the earl is heard rather than seen. People report the sounds of horse hooves in the courtyard, sometimes accompanied by a fully loaded carriage. It was a. It was while. It was while repairing the plumbing at some point in the 1930s that workmen made a gruesome discovery. It has long been rumored that the ghostly figure of a young maiden dressed in white stalked the castle at night, searching for a forbidden lover. And what the found added some weight to the story. 
The tale goes that she was a daughter of one of the many owners of the castle. It would have been totally unacceptable for a lady of noble blood to strike up a relationship with a commoner. But the young lady, who might have been Selina Bovlis, fell in love with a man who worked at the castle. The secret affair was rumbled by a father who, in a rage, not only locked her in a prison cell in the tower, but went so far as to brick her up inside a wall. The white lady who forever mourned the lost love was heard wailing in her sorrow until the skeleton of a female was clothed in a white gown was discovered inside the wall. So when they did the plumbing, they discovered this, Damn, um, this body. body. The story of the grey lady is much more light-hearted. Uh, it tells of a woman, as a sign of gratitude, remained to serve the castle even after her death. During her days here, the servant suffered from a dreadful toothache. The master of the house saw it as sorted that she received treatment. Some accounts say in the form of a poultice, others, but nevertheless, it just relieved her pain. She died soon afterwards, but her spirit remained so grateful to the kindness that she haunts the castle as a kind as a kind of protector, always looking for good deeds to perform. Doesn't really say, you know, what kind of good deeds she yeah. does. It just says good, good deeds. deeds. Good for her. <laughs> okay. Interesting story. Yeah, of all the hundred ghosts, those are the only ones that they mention. Yeah. I couldn't find of anything else. But like most of these stories, there's only there's I think there's so many stories throughout the, throughout the years that they just got infamous for exactly and, and now. It's and I just, think they would only you know use the ghosts of famous people yeah, like James Hepburn exactly like, because he was the third husband yeah. of Mary Queen of Scots. Definitely um, status to the ghosts. <laughs> mm. So number four is Myrtle's Plantation, which is in USA. Is it in Illinois? So have you heard about it? No, but Illinois is famous for the cotton plantations. Is it Illinois? It's normally by the bayou. I think it was Illinois. I'm actually not. I can't remember. Now I'm so confused. Maybe it is. I think it was Illinois. Anyway. Because it's it's quite wetlands there, yeah. and uh, that's where they had a lot of black slaves. Yeah. Um, Can I tell you something it interesting? It's south. It's deep south. I'm I'm not sure how probably in the Um But that's pretty much where voodoo started. Yeah, I know. Just to scare the masters. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite interesting. According to local myth, this deep south plantation was home to multiple murders and other tales. Of great suffering, inspiring ghost sightings that continue to, to this very to this very day. A silent witness to over two hundred years of history in the deepest part of the Deep South, Myrtles is considered one of the most haunted places in America. Hmm. So the beginning of the Myrtle Plantation, Myrtles Plantation, David Bradford, who was a general of the American Revolutionary War, purchased a piece of land in seventeen ninety six. He built a house and named the place Laurel Grove. Fleeing justice for his role in the so-called Whiskey Rebellion of 1791 and 2-1794, Bradford built a house in what was then a Spanish colony. He lived there alone for several years until he was officially pardoned by the U.S. President John Adams in 1799. He then brought his family to live on his plantation. After Bradford's death, the grove passed to his daughter and her husband, Clark Woodruff. 
but their life there wasn't a happy one. Of their three children, only one survived to adulthood. It was during that time that the Woodruffs lived on the Myrtle Plantation that we get the first glimpses of alleged paranormal activity. So the first one is the legend of Chloe. Clark Woodruff was known as an honest man, yet he had one fatal flaw, an insatiable appetite for sex. It wasn't long before he focused his attention on one of the slave girls on the plantation, Chloe. The young girl knew that refusing Woodruff's advances would not be wise. She'd be immediately punished by working long hours under the blistering sun or worse. So not having much choice in the matter, she began a sexual relationship with Woodruff that lasted for a few years. Worrying that Woodruff's wife would find out and punish her, Chloe began eavesdropping on the family's conversations. One day, Woodruff caught her listening and ordered her ear cut off as a punishment. From then on, Chloe was forced to wear a turban to cover her disfigured ear. Understandably, Chloe wanted revenge. revenge. One night, when the family was about to sit down to, di to dinner, Woodruff was away. Chloe allegedly slipped a bit of poison into their food. Within days, Woodruff's wife and two of his children were dead. Hmm. The other slaves, afraid that Woodruff would find out what Chloe had done when he returned, took the matter into their own hands. They grabbed Chloe and hung her from a nearby tree. When she finally died, they cut her body down and threw it into the river. According to legend, Chloe's spirit lived on, haunting the plantation. However, this story would not become widespread until many decades later. In 1834, Woodruff sold the plantation to one Ruffin Gray Sterling. Sterling not only remodeled the house, but also remained the renamed the plantation after the crepe myrtle trees that grew on the property. Sometime after, the plantation was passed to William Winter, a man who married one of the daughters of Sterling. Then, in 1871, an unnamed man shot Winter in the chest as he was exiting the house. He allegedly ran back into the house and stumbled upon up the stairs before dying in the arms of his wife, Sarah. After this, Myrtles continued to pass through different hands. It wasn't until much later that something unnatural allegedly began occurring at Myrtles' plantation. It would take until the 1970s when Myrtle Plantation was purchased by the Mayer's family that its reputation as a haunted house would come about. The family opened the plantation as a bed and breakfast and it didn't take long for strange things to, start, to take place. For starters, guests at Myrtle's plantation reported hearing strange noises. Others saw ghostly apparitions, often of a young girl wearing a turban. Mm. Many suggest that this might be the spirit of Chloe, which by the point had become a full-blown local legend. Then in 1992, the owner of Myrtles reportedly caught her on form. That year, she took a photo of the property to help get an insurance policy for the house. The photo was quickly forgotten until three years later when a researcher asked to use it for a postcard. After blowing it up, he allegedly noticed the figure of a what appeared to be a young girl. According to the owner, there was no one in that spot that day. Hmm. Some people claim to have seen young girls in, in old-style clothing in the windows. Others say that they've caught glimpses of Woodruff's children appearing in the mirror near the room where they died. 
According to another local legend, Myrtle's plantation was actually built on top of an old Indian burial, burial ground. Some people report seeing spirits of Native American women in a gazebo on the property. Uh, meanwhile, others have reported seeing Win William Winter, the only man we know for certain, was killed at Myrtle's plantation. According to the story, Winter's ghost relives his last moments by loudly staggering through the house's entrance and running up the stairs on the 17th step where he allegedly met his end. Some people even claim to have caught the ghost on form. Although some of these photos are undeniably spooky, they look somewhat grainy and raise suspicion over their authenticity. Yeah, yeah it's always double exposure and long exposure. Yeah. But for some reason, this reminds me of Skeleton Key. Weirdly enough, it did for me as well, which is weird, but it did for me as well. I think I should go watch it again. We do want to watch a like a old movie. <laughs> well, that's not not that old. old. I think that came out when I was in what high school before high school. How long 30? ago was that? Jesus, I think it's <laughs> now that you have to remind me. Yeah, um, just just think back. Like um, it's those memes that like say, "Oh, 1990 was um, ten years ago," and you think back, you're like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> no, I see a lot of memes where they say like um, from the 1990s and like pre city, and then you know, like someone pointing directly at you, yeah. so you can see this is your pre city now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Any case. Number three is um, Bangar Fort in Ra Rajasthan, India. So it was built in the 17th century in Rajasthan. The Bangar Fort is an ancient specimen. It was believed to have been erected by Man Singh I, one of the Ravratnas in Akbar's court, for his son Madhu Singh I. There are two stories of Bangar Fort still surviving in the form of legends. The first legend claims that a king named Madhu Singh raised the Bangar Fort after obtaining due permission from an ascetic named Bala Nata who lived there. Having agreed to a condition which said that the shadow of the fort must never fall upon the home of the ascetic. But as fate would have it, one of the um, ambitious successors of Madhu Singh added that added to the fortifications vertically, thereby causing its ominous shadow to engulf the abode of the ascetic. Lo and behold, once it came to pass, the fort was doomed with no time. The alleged prophecy stood fulfilled and a Bangford fort became haunted. Okay. It's very legendary. Yeah. I couldn't really find anything about sacrificials or any sadistic uh, murders. It's very legend based. The second legend behind the Bangar Fort um, is more popular than the first one. It claims that Princess Ratnafati of Bangar was responsible for the apocalyptic situation which befell the fort. A local black magician fell in love with her. She was believed to be very beautiful. It's all the stories. Hmm. Never the ugly one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. That's true. That's why I'm laughing. Because <laughs> if you look back about the folklores we did in the previous month's podcast. Beautiful girl. Blonde yeah. hair. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, 
uh, she was believed to be very beautiful and once trying to bewitch and he tried to bewitch a cosmetic she was supposed to use to make her and fall in love with him. The princess smelled suspicion and foiled the entire conspiracy of the black magician by pouring the bewitched cosmetic over a massive stone boulder which then supposedly crushed the tantric to death. But before the magician breathed his last breath, he placed a curse upon the entire landscape that no soul would ever be able to live in peace there. The whole landscape around the Bangar Fort was being haunted since. Hmm. It's, it, it's literally as if it just everyone moved yeah. away overnight, basically. Damn. It's very difficult to pinpoint what happened really. Yeah. I just not couldn't really of... find anything. It's literally, it's like something happened and everyone died or everyone moved away and it's just this no dilapidated one, building. No one is there to tell the story. No. Hmm. No one is allowed to enter the fort after sunset or before sunrise. It's what? literally not allowed. Like the previous one, number yeah. 10. Literally, it's not allowed. It is said that the spirits roam in Bangar Fort at night and various strange noises are heard. Also, it is said anyone who enters the fort at night would not be able re- to return in the morning. Damn. Mm. I want to go there now. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing, but then I, in my mind, I think, yeah, the people of the legend will probably make it want to last longer, so they'll kill the people and then... So you'll get killed by people, not by ghosts. <laughs> the thing is, they have guards stationed at certain points. What? And when night falls, they leave. What? Yes, they leave. Damn. Therefore, you are not allowed to be there at night. You are literally not allowed to be there. Damn. Okay. Mm. So my next one is the second one. So, number two is Monte Cristo Homestead in Australia. And it is the most haunted house in Australia. Very hard to believe. Mm. The original owner, Christopher William Crawley, received two area of land. One of 400 acres and another of 120 acres in January 1876 under provisions of the Robertson Act of 1861. His fortunes changed when the Great Southern Railway Line opened in 1878. Perhaps tipped off the year before, he acquired the license and built the Railway Hotel opposite the soon-to-be-bustling railway station. At this time, the village consisted of Mr. Crawley's hotel and the adjoining railway store run by George Dobbins and a few scattered slab houses and bulk huts. The township benefited tremendously from the influx of travellers and agriculture trade, fueling the region's explosive growth. His natural generosity and sense of civic responsibility resulted in him being held in high regard by all segments of the community. His hard-earned wealth and newfound social status needed an omnipresent symbol, so Monte Cristo came into being, literally meaning Mount of Christ. Oh, so that's what Monte... Cristo means. Hmm. Mm. Mount of Christ. Pa- I, I, sorry, I mm. knew Cristo was Christ, but... Oh, I didn't even know that. He's come now in Supernatural. Dean's is Cristo to the pilot. I, what, what season? <laughs> One. Oh my God. 
I know we rewatched it recently. Oh, I know. I know we were obsessed with it for a while, and I'm still slightly obsessed with it, but I can't <laughs> cannot remember. It's because um, uh, they had. It was in the first season. It was in the second one. I can't remember specifically, but um, the, it was the one specifically with the haunted plane, where the plane would literally, after a few oh, kilometers in the air, would would die. Yeah. And everyone would die. And I think the um, one of the people on a plane was a survivor of the previous one. Yeah. Sam told Dean, remember to say Christo. Or remember to, to use Christ's Latin name, Christo. And Dean said, yes, I know that. Or something like that. Ah, okay. And he said, like, Christo. <laughs> Christo. Wherever he went, like, down the aisle. <laughs> I can vaguely remember that now, but not really. I need to rewatch it. Actually. Oh, that's a very niche reference right there. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um, your weird brain remembers weird things. I know, Jesus <laughs> fuck. So, prior to the construction of the new house in 1884, the Crawleys lived in a small brick cottage now called the Original Homestead. It was built in 1876 and became the kitchen and servants' quarters. Envisioned as the grand, grandest home of the region, region's landed gentry, Monte Cristo succeeded in becoming the ultimate status symbol. Like a castle in feudal Europe, it was the center of local power and sat perched high on a hill so its lord can survey the realms, his realm from a, the second floor balcony. However, it was still a farming property. The nucleus of Crawley's family agriculture pursuits. And Mr. Crawley's, Mr. Crawley wasn't above getting his hands dirty. No price was spared in, the, in, in its construction. Build of sand stock bricks fired on site and land on a dry stone foundation. In over a century, not a single crack has appeared. The interior plan of the house is simple with rooms opening off a uh, central hallway which runs through the house and contains a staircase. A late Victorian house of pleasing line and proportion. It remains much of the symmetry of an e earlier period, with only the applied decoration of plasterwork and cast iron letters adding to necessary touch of opulence so loved by the Victorians. The homestead was, re the homestead was renowned as one of the region's social centres, a place where balls were held and local gentry idled away the day in country pursuit, playing tennis and golf on the region's first course. In between these pleasant activities, the Crowleys raised seven children, all of whom, whom went on to live happy, productive lives. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Crawley is remembered as being very like Queen Victoria, and usually wore a black lace dress, lace cap with a standard beaded collar. She ruled the house with a rod of iron, with her husband, appeared to be a quintessential Victorian couple, but as was often the case, perceptions were, were misleading. Staff would re later recount stories of harsh mistreating, mistreatment by their employees, which spawned many ominous legends persisting today. William Christopher Crawley died at Monte Cristo on 14 December 1910, at the age of 69 from heart failure secondary to blood poisoning caused by a carbuncle on his neck becoming infected from rubbing up against his starched collar. Mm. It is believed that his widow only left the house on two occasions in the remaining 23 years of her life. 
Jesus. Turning an upstairs box, which is a storage room, in into a chapel, she emerged emerged herself in the Bible. Mrs. Crawley herself died at Monte Cristo on the 12th of August 1933, at the age of 92 of heart failure, secondary to a ruptured appendix. The homestead's glory days were now over, but Monte Cristo would remain a Crawley family home until 1948 when the last member of the family vacated, after which no one would live there again until it was acquired by Olive and Reginald Ryan more than a decade later by which time its furnishings had been auctioned off and state and stately grandeur faded by time. Vandalism and neglect of generations which had ceased to care about its pioneering past. A chain of violent events in the house had triggered other supernatural incidents. A maid once, once plummeted to her death from the upstairs balcony and the figure of a woman in period dress has been seen walking along the veranda blood-stained steps where she fell. A stable boy who was burned to death in his bed at the hands of his master is thought to be to haunt the coach house, while the ghost of a mentally disabled man named Harold wanders the grounds. Kept chained in the caretaker's cottage for 40 years, Harold was found called up at the feet of his mother's dead body. He died shortly after being sent to a home for the insane. The sound of clanking chains is said to warn his approach. It is actually um, a really, really big tourist attraction. You can really? do you can do a lot of you can do like ghost events. You can I think you can actually sleep over. So hmm. they give you like they give you dinner and then you can sleep over and they do give you a ghost tour of the place. There's also um, a doll museum. And then they do still do the balls. They do a haunted ball every year. Ooh. But because of obviously COVID and those things, um, I think it has, hasn't happened since 2019. But they hmm. do like, they actually dress up. And they do haunted balls and things like that. That's actually But it's cool. by invitation only. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> then how do you get an invitation? I have be rich and famous in Australia. I have no idea. But yeah, okay. um, it is actually quite a big tourist attraction. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. It's actually funny to think that there's um, anything wanted in Australia. Oh, by the way, it's a tourist attraction, but the people still live there. So like the Ryan family. Really? It's, it's, it's their house. Okay, so they so, make money out of the tourist attraction. Then. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. The husband died in, I think, 2014. Oh, but the, okay. the wife is still doing it. Oh, kudos for her yeah. for still doing it. Well, at number one, we have Chateau de Bricas, Main et Loire in France. Je ne sais pas. Which is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My go-to phrase. The Chateau de Brax resides just south south of the city of Angers, in the Loire River Valley of France. The original castle was built in the 11th century. In the 15th century, the Duke of Bricas took uh, took ownership and decided to tear down the original medieval castle and replace it with a new castle to be built in a grand Renaissance style. He renamed it Castle uh, Chateau de Bricas at the time. The twin medieval towers were left in place while the new building was being constructed. 
The Duke intended, intended on removing both medieval towers, but he died as the new building was nearing completion, and thus the towers were left in place. So, if we actually look closely, the towers are leaning slightly hmm. to the castle. Okay. It's actually quite funny. If you look at a certain angle, you, actually, yeah. you can actually see they're leaning a bit. Hmm. It's quite funny. One of the most infamous residents of the Chateau de Braccos is La Dame Verte, or the Green Lady, who is the Chateau's resident ghost. The Green Lady is said to be the ghost of a woman by the name of Charlotte de Brise, who was the illegitimate daughter of Charles Seventh and of his mistress Agnes Sorel. She was also the half-sister of King Louis Eleventh. That's something, eh? To be illegitimate, but to have a very strong connection with yeah. royalty. But it's the same with, um, if you go to royalty today, um, Camilla. <sighs> she what has a, a weird, interesting name. Flower name. Flame, flower, flower name. Um, an unscented flower, by the way. A Camilla flower doesn't mm. have a scent. Um, she has very, 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 very strong heritage she's like so in 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 the heritage bloodline it's not even funny mm. more than what princess diana was mm. yeah i can't remember who directly but she's descended from bastard from bastard line from one of the georges i can't remember which one okay mm. but in any case she was also the hostess of king louis the 11th in 1462, a marriage was arranged between Charlotte and Jacques de Brise, a nobleman. It has been claimed that the marriage was politically motivated, like most, and that the two did not love each other, like most don't. Additionally, it has been said that the two individuals had quite different characters. For instance, Jacques is said to have enjoyed outdoor activities such as hunting, whilst Charlotte was more inclined to a sophisticated life. On May 31, 1477, Jacques is said to have returned from a hunting trip, had dinner with his wife, and then went to his room. In the middle of the night, a servant woke Jacques up in, to inform him that his wife was having an affair with a man by the name of Pierre de Laverne. Jacques caught his wife and her lover red-handed, and in a fit of rage, murdered the adulterous couple. Apparently, Jacques moved out of the chateau shortly after the murder, as he could not stand the moaning of his late wife and her lover's ghosts. Damn. She's often seen in the tower room of the chapel wearing her green dress, with gaping holes where eyes and nose should be. When not startling guests by appearance, she is then heard moaning around the castle. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, they don't say any other ghosts. It's just yeah. her. And her lover. But then what is that? How is that considered the most haunted place in the world, though? I think it's probably in France. Although I think there should be more. Yeah. Because France is old. It is. There's a lot of monasteries. Yeah. A lot of brutal shit happened in that country. Exactly. When the Vikings came over. Especially when the Vikings came over. Damn. But that's literally the only thing that I could find of Chateau de Bracas. Yeah. Fuck knows how you're supposed to pronounce it. <laughs> Chateau the... Exactly. Brissac? Mm. Brissac? 
Brissac. Maybe you say it with a French accent will sound better. Chateau. Je ne sais pas. Chateau Brissac. Je ne sais pas. Okay. Anyway, um, that is the top 10 most haunted places in the world, according Ooh. to Wanderlust. According. And uh, we did research on our own of each place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will link all the sources we have used for this podcast in the description of the podcast. Mm. And in the next one, we will be discussing the top 10 rated foods of the world. Mm. So like, lovely, lovely. Looking forward to food. <laughs> it's sad we can't taste it though. Oh, that would be really cool. Although sushi but... would be one of them and I don't do sushi. I'll eat the sushi for you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, we can do that maybe for one of our Patre- Patreon tiers. We can do like a video of uh, tasting, tasting the top weird, 10. Like a weird... Or, yeah, like tasting a, different... A weird delicacy. Definitely. That would be really cool to do that. So that can be something we or can like work on. Or like a weird on. sweet or, you know, something that they enjoy that... Like Vegemite. That's not weird. It's Marmite. But to, but to <laughs> others, to Americans, it's weird because okay. we have Bovril and Marmite. But we eat, I eat Marmite almost, no, I don't want to say every day, but I used to eat Marmite every day. It's I prefer Bovril. But it's based, you know, Bovril is not as um, salty and as mm. strong, but it's the same thing as Vegemite. It's the same thing. Or maybe, you know, I mean, we like, did like the anchovies, anchovy toast. Oh yeah, we can do weird, we can do weird things that is, cons- or things that is considered weird to us that is eaten in other countries. Mm. We can do that. Like a delicacy. We can do delicacies. That would be really cool to do that. And some fruits as well. I think that'd be quite yeah, cool. Yeah, I really want to try durian, but apparently it stinks really badly. I know. I want to but try you, star fruit though. We, we won't get, I don't think, star fruit, but that would that would be nice. Mm. Um, apparently durians, well, we won't be able to get durians in South Africa fresh, but we'll get it like... We can maybe order it online in a can <laughs> or dried durian. That's the thing as well. Yes, because uh, dried durian is also a delicacy. It's like a yeah. jerky. But, uh, and then uh, we should maybe try century eggs. Uh-uh. 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 Fuck no. Apparently <laughs> it tastes like um, if you like a really, really strong blue cheese, you will like it. I don't do cheese. Yeah, I know, but I do. But now I'm thinking to myself, do but I actually? Stink. But obviously, it's the same with Vegemite. You're not supposed to just eat it on its own. Mm, you're supposed so to eat it with something else. Most people um, eat it with, um, especially Japanese, they eat it with, mm. which, uh, congee, which is uh, like a rice mm-hmm. pudding. They eat it on top of that as an extra flavoring, I would say. But yeah. So, um, please, that is our video for today, a video podcast for today. So, um, please follow us on all of our social medias at Zombie Chicken Podcast. Um, and also support us, please support us. Please support us on Patreon, also Zombie Chickens Podcast. It starts with $1.50 a month. And then we are working on things that makes that is more exclusive for our podcast. So you actually get benefits from it. And bonus so, content. Bonus content. So we're working on things like that. Um, but yeah, that's it for today. So stay tuned for next week's top 10 foods of the world. Hmm, and um, keep a Bible with you. I don't know. Oh, stay safe, people. <laughs> Burn your sage. <laughs>
Burn your sage. Burn cleanse, your sage, Cleanse bitch. your houses, people. Cleanse your houses. <laughs> Burn sage, bitches. <laughs> and that's it. Cheers for years. Cheers for years. <laughs>